Let me just review. We've been talking about Gideon here, looking at Judges 6 as a blueprint for leadership, and we've kind of been looking at his points of his life. And so we're touching on consecration, God's proving ground of consecration. And God is calling all of us to be consecrated. Uh, the definition we gave there at the top, which means to formally dedicate to divine purpose. And every one of our lives is to be completely, fully dedicated to divine purpose. And these days we're seeing folks only dedicate Sunday to God's divine purpose. And maybe maybe a crusade to God's divine purpose, but we've got to be fully dedicated. Every area of our life, every aspect of our life, our finances, our playtime, our home time, our even, even our, our, you know, our time with our children, it's all dedicated to divine purpose because we belong to God. We're not our own. We don't have a say in what we do. He's merciful and He lets us go and do fun things. But as we, as we just said, we're watching things fall apart. And when the ship is sinking, you don't sit on the deck like they did on the Titanic and play music. You scramble, you know? And maybe if a, you know, your ship's sinking and a little cart rolls by with a croissant on it, you grab the croissant off of it just as it goes past you because you might put it in your pocket and need it for later. But the end of all things is really at hand. And this is not a time to just be living carelessly. That was maybe the 80s. And maybe because we lived that way in the 80s, we're here today. So we, we were looking at consecration. It means to live your life wholly set apart to God, to a divine purpose. And every one of you, whether you're called to be a preacher or whether you're just a mom, a stay-at-home mom, and we don't mean just a, because that's a tremendous thing, because it's, it's the powerful stay-at-home moms that raise awesome kids that go on to do great things for God too. All of you have a divine purpose. There's not a one of you that is unnecessary. There's not a one of you that is superfluous. There's not a one of you that is just a second thought to Jesus Christ. Every one of you has a divine purpose. And as we encourage you over and over again, every one of you reach people I can never reach. Every one of you reach people that I'll never meet. And God wants you to use you. But we, we're going to be used more mightily when we live a consecrated life. And so looking at our definition again at the top of our lesson, uh, the second part for the uh, consecration means to cleanse externally. And so that talks about the way you dress, that talks about the way you talk, that talks about the way you look, that talks about the way you smell. There's even smells that are unholy. Uh, and I don't, I'm not just talking B.O., you know, we kind of laugh at that, yeah, that's an unholy smell. Uh, but there's even certain perfumes and colognes you get around and you think, there's something odd about that. And, and certainly you can take a decent cologne and just cake it on you so thick that you just smell dirty. Our women do the same thing too with perfume. You know, they just, just smells trampy. And, and, you know, I don't know what you're going for, but we don't need to smell you from four blocks away. And once you leave, we smell you for three days. And everybody's experienced that kind of thing. I'm, I'm not trying to fix anybody's cologne habit around here, but, you know, just throwing it out there. Uh, so to cleanse externally, the church is really missing this right now. From our worship team leaders to, uh, to our preachers that sit on the platform in a little bar stool with a little trendy pulpit with their gold chain and their hair caught up in it. And, you know, Pastor Brian and I were talking about all the spiky hair and, and you know, the eyeliner and the trendy glasses and a little soul patch. And we won't talk about trendy glasses and goatee since I have both of those. But I don't have spiky hair. Maybe spiky on a short... But I've always worn glasses and I've had a shaved head since 98, so leave me alone. The goatee I grew to look a little older. <laughs> Thank God I can grow one. <laughs> the last part is to separate from profane things and to dedicate to God. That is to be our life, to separate from profane things. Profane just means common. We are not to be common. 
When you treat something as profane, you just treat it as common and useless. And so we are not that. We are a brand new species of being that has never before ever existed. Scientists ought to be studying us. You know, not some glow-in-the-dark humpback whale at the bottom of Mariana's trench. We are the finest thing that has ever been made now that we've been born again. We're not common. And when we start acting common, that is not a consecrated life. Common is smoking. Common is cussing. Common is piercing. Common is tattooing. Common is sleeping around. Common is filth. That's common. But you and I are to live uncommon, rare. And even the church isn't really doing this as it should. That's why we have to keep teaching it. But when you live a consecrated life, you live a life that is not profane. You, you remove all the profanity, the profane things from you, the common things. And when you get your life free from common things, you become very rare. When you get your life free from everything that is common, you become the rarity. And we all know value increases with rarity. And God has assigned a value to each and every one of us. We ought to live like the value he's assigned to us. Don't live like the common flimflam. Live like the rare species you truly are. That's consecration. And the final definition is to sanctify. And maybe we understand sanctification better than we do consecration. They are synonymous. And to sanctify just means you set yourself apart for God's use. And the more clean you are, the more uncommon you are, the more rare you are, the more you're going to be in demand. Uh, we told Brother Brett, we prophesied over him actually to go to Africa, not to go to Africa, but to cast a wider net because what he had was a dime a dozen in America and he would not be accepted here. And that is, you know, he's a, a preacher, he's a singer, he can lead worship, he can play the guitar. And that is a dime a dozen in the States. It's, it's your kind of sing and dance minstrel of a minister. But what he has is very rare over in Africa and he'll be used more mildly. That's what the word of the Lord said to him. It's the same thing God had spoken to him in Honduras about two weeks before we prophesied over him. And now he's in Africa. When you're rare, you're going to be used more. When you're a dime a dozen, you're not good for much. You know, when only one guy in the neighborhood has a mattock, he's going to get used all the time. When only one guy in the neighborhood has the chainsaw, he's going to get used all the time. When only one guy in the neighborhood has a riding lawnmower, he's going to be the most popular guy on the planet. But when everybody gets a riding lawnmower, he's not so popular anymore. So we want to live a life that's sanctified, set apart. And what we set ourselves apart from is worldly thinking, worldly acting, worldly dress, worldly behavior, worldly thought life. We make ourselves totally distinct and it's something God can't do for you. You have to do it. He can show you how to do it. He can give you the 20 step program to do it. He can show you a thousand verses, but it has to be in your heart of determination. I'm going to live sanctified. I'm going to live consecrated. I'm going to be different. And to that end, we might judge ourselves and say, Lord, where do I act like the world? Where do I reason like the world? Where, where do my emotions act like the world's emotions? Where do my appetites line up with the world's appetites? Where do I handle situations just like the world handles them? And where is that acceptable and where is it not acceptable? And you can begin to, if you want to, be consecrated and set apart. We've, we talked about this last week, I believe. Uh, you want, when you go to have surgery, you want the, the doctor's utensils to be consecrated. <laughs> You don't want him to come in there buttering his toast with the same thing he's about to cut you open and do an, an emergency appendectomy on. Oh, <laughs> Is that jam or blood? Yeah. You want everything to be consecrated. 
When the mechanic, you know, goes to put oil in your car, you want it to be consecrated oil, not recycled. You just drain it out of one truck, puts it back in yours. Saves him money, ruins your car. And that's why we've got to be consecrated, set apart, pure, clean. That's how God's going to use you. But when you're just dirty and a dirty dime a dozen, God's not going to use you. He can't. So that's why this lesson is so critical. And uh, it may be why the church is so dirty is because folks don't want to live this way. We have fallen in love with the world. Maybe not us, but the church. We, we are, we, I keep using the term, it's playground games. We're caught up with worldly peer pressure. They call us names and we want to be accepted by them. And they make fun of us and so we want to be accepted by them. That's not consecration. In fact, it seems as though some churches are inviting the filth into their utensil set because they want the world to like them. Jesus said, if the world hates me, just get ready. We're watching a lot of churches and a lot of Christians want to be cool with the world. And they're cool with the world by taking on the world's social causes. And they're cool with the world by accepting the world's doctrines. We're not called to take on the temperature of the world. We're called to raise the temperature of the world. All lukewarmness is, is you let the ice cold world bring you down out of heat. And how many churches are lukewarm because they want to be like the world? We still want to have a cross. We still want to sing hymns about Jesus at Easter, but we don't want to stand against homosexual marriage. We don't want to stand against abortion issues. We don't want to stand against adultery issues. We don't want to rock the boat. We want to be accepted in the world. Well, if that's what you want, you're not consecrated. You're common. Everybody's marching to this, this drumbeat now. How, how come the world wants to be different, but the church wants to be the same? If we want to be like the world, then let's be different because the world wants to be different. But in us being different, we'll be like Jesus. So it's very contrary. You step back and look at it logically, just pure logic, apart from emotions, apart from the demon spirits of confusion. And you realize this is stupid. The church has gone dumb because they don't stick with their Savior. They don't stick with the Word of God. They don't live their life by every scripture, every doctrine, every jot, every tittle. And if we don't, if we're not careful, even in this church that we harp on so much and we preach at so hard, you'll slowly be pulled away. You guys only come to church three, four times a week, five times a week, but you're in the world the other five and six days. And the world has you more hours than the house of God does. If you're a stay-at-home mom, this is an awesome season to be a stay-at-home mom because you just stay at home and you make your home and you can put on CDs and listen to worship music and you can stay clean. Pray for those that you have that you know that go into the world to work because the world is getting more and more hostile. Just like in the days a lot that came knocking on the door, they said, we want to sleep with your guests. They brought the sin to his front door and he was an idiot. How about my daughters? No. We don't want your virgin daughters. We want those two guys that are with you. We'd like to sodomize them. And the angel said, if they want to touch us, and they start thumping them, and they all go blind. They were already blind. And they had to flee. It's going to get that bad. Dr. Sumrall said, probably 35 years ago, there would come a time in America where to get an A in health ed in your schools, your kids would have to have sex. They would require your children to engage in intercourse to get the A. That seems extreme, but he also said about 50 years ago, there would come a time in America when gays would want to be married. 50 years ago, he said that. Boy, that's, that's where we live. So it may seem extreme. He also said bestiality would become common in America. 
I would tell you it already happens quite a bit. I have known people that have engaged in bestiality. These are not consecrated lifestyles. You act shocked. That may be a good thing because it means you live a church and live around church. That means you're living clean. This world is perverse and it's going to hell very quickly. We are called to be different. We're called to be salt. We're called to be light. We're called to be consecrated, sanctified, set apart, meet for the master's use. Timothy says we are to purge ourselves from unclean vessels, dishonorable vessels. Those are vessels that belong to God, but they choose to live dishonorably. And as we teach in here over and over again, one of the greatest things you'll have to walk away from is friends and even the occasional family member. Do not get hung up on family members. Unless you're married, you don't have a covenant with anybody. Unless you're married, you don't have a covenant with anybody. Everybody except your spouse, you can walk away from. And your spouse, you just pray for. And you got promises in 1 Corinthians 7 that'll help you. But uh, it's amazing how many Christians cling to hurtful relationships out of emotional sake. And until you're married, you have no covenant and you owe them nothing but to love them, but you love God more. And you don't have to be buddies to love them. You can be 50 miles away and love them. And you manifest that love by praying for them every day. Oftentimes we're asked, how do I honor my parents? They live for the devil. Do I obey them? No, you don't obey demon worshiping parents. Gideon, we, we're about to see Gideon didn't. He, he didn't obey. He tore down his dad's altars. But what you, the best, and I've, we had to walk this out with some of our extended family. The best way to honor family is to pray for them. The word honor just means you put a high value on them. Some things have a high value that you can never touch or be around. So you pray for it. But I tell you, until you're married, you have no covenant. And if they're not married to them, you owe them nothing but to pray for them. So walk away. You'll do your life a lot of good. Why be unequally yoked? Why, why walk in circles? Why be like the children of Israel? Yeah, God will take care of you. Yeah, your feet won't, your shoes won't wear out. Your feet won't swell, but you'll just go in circles your entire life. Yeah, it's supernatural, but you go nowhere supernaturally. Yeah, you get supernatural provision every day, but it's the same thing because you won't let go and move on. So that's part of consecration. You have dirty friends in your life, walk away. Do not keep walking in circles. God has more for you than for you to spend the next 40 years, if we have that much, just going in a big circle. He supernaturally will provide for you. You'll have supernatural shoe provision. You'll have supernatural food. It'll all just be boring, bland, blase, and you'll get bored and irritated with God and it'll be your fault. If you could just let it go and just go straight into the promised land, you could have the land that flows with more than enough, not just barely getting by. Amen. Consecration. So let's jump down here to these last set of bullet points. Uh, the second Gideon said, Lord, I will do whatever you ask of me. I will serve you. The Lord was very quick to begin proving Gideon. And you've got to know the Lord's going to begin to prove you quickly. The second you say, Lord, I'm yours, use me. He may talk to you before you go to bed that night and he's going to really prove you. Do you really mean it? So look at this verse here, Judges 6:25. came to pass the same night. So this is very quick that the Lord said unto him, take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old and throw down the altar of, of Baal that thy father hath. He's already setting him against his dad because he has no covenant with his dad. 
and cut down the grove that is by. Basically, go destroy everything in your dad's home that's demonic. And build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place and take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. So don't just tear down the altar, but rebuild one for Jehovah. <laughs> cut down all the totem poles. And with those totem poles you cut down, make a big bonfire. With that big bonfire, take your dad's bullock, that's a cow, and kill it too. And so, you know, dad's going to wake up in the morning and go, you know, you think you're in trouble for scratching dad's car when you're a teenager. I, I tore my dad's clutch up in the Volvo one time. I was going downhill. I was just learning how to drive a stick. And I was going downhill very fast. And I put it like into first gear instead of third. And it went, Rah! so I put the clutch in the heart and went, Rah! and I got to the bottom of the hill and it didn't work anymore. And I totally shattered the clutch in five pieces. And I didn't get to drive the Volvo for a long time. That's bad. But you, your dad wakes up in the morning. His totem poles are cut down. Smoking embers. There's a carcass there. That's, that's my best bull. The altar's torn apart. Rocks are scattered everywhere. There's another altar. You know there's trouble. And that's how the Lord would have you treat friendships. Let there make no, no, no misunderstanding where you stand. With your family with your spouse, with your friends. I despise the idolatry of the wicked and Jehovah God reigns and I will burn for him. There was no doubt in the morning where Gideon stood. Can we say the same thing about you? That's a consecrated life. Or are you kind of one of these incognito ninja Christians? <laughs> Sneak in there. Hallelujah. Sneak out. <laughs> I think some of you might be ninja Christians. You know, just put your foot down and stand for something for once. Burn things to the ground. It's kind of fun. Make a mess from time to time. You know, and then you learn how not to make such a big mess. I have testimonies. Jeff Harris reminds me from time to time. Remember when you had that Bible study in college and you told people this? And I was like, oh, man, I don't. But yeah, I can imagine I said that kind of thing. You know, you just, like Brother Sumrall said, I'd rather have wildfire than no fire. Because wildfire you can harness with just a little bit of teaching. Do people know where you stand? Is it evident where you stand? Do you put your foot down on as to where you stand? Are you willing to burn things for God? When you burn for God, you can't help but set things on fire everywhere you go. Amen. Amen. But if you're not on fire, you can't start fires. Some Christians are good at putting them out because they're just a big mess. So we want to be consecrated. God wasted no time proving Gideon. The same day Gideon accepted God's call in his life, the Lord gave him an assignment. And the Lord's going to take you at your word. Your heart, you come to every church service, you repent. You know, folks raise their hand every service for the altar call. They pray with me. We're going to rededicate. You got to know by the time the sun goes down, he's going to be proving your rededication. I, I haven't been living right. I need to rededicate. I've been off track. Before the sun goes down, he's going to prove you. He will waste no time. He's going to take you at your word. Can you imagine Almighty God taking you at your word? He sees you in a service. Raise your hand. Rededicate. Even stand. Sometimes we have you come to the altar and you pray and everybody's looking at your backside and you're aware everybody's looking at your backside, but you don't care because you want to rededicate. And before the sun goes down, the Lord's going to prove you to see. Are you serious about really walking with him? And if you walk with him, you're going to walk away from some things. But do you ever really?
Because rededication is not a matter of raising your hand. It's not a matter of coming down front. It's really what you do once you live, leave here. You know, this is just the beginning. When, when you raise your hand in a service, that's the gunshot going off. What really happens, what really makes it rededication is the way you live once you leave these, these premises. This is just you under conviction. Jesus said, which is better for a, a father to tell his two sons, go and do this. And the first son says, I'll go and do it. And then he doesn't. And the other says, I won't do it. And then he goes and does. And his disciples said, well, that's easy, Lord. It's the second one. And Jesus said, well spoken. We come in here and say, Lord, we'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. And then we don't go and do it. And then there's somebody who never raises their hand, but they walk out of here and they say, Lord, I got to do it. Forgive me. They didn't make a show of it. And we're not against the show of it. We're looking for the show of it, the public testimony. But what's more critical is how you live once you leave here. Every one of us can put on the Christian facade in the church. Every one of us can wear the suit. We can dress up nice, put on lipstick, put on nice hair color, whatever. But it's really how we live once we live, leave here. That's the consecrated life. We can all consecrate for two hours on a Sunday morning. We set aside our Sunday morning. We set aside how we do things, how we think, how we act. We come in here. We, li we can live consecrated for maybe five hours on a Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night. But consecration is really how you live out there, how you live in your home, what you do with your entertainment habits, how you lead your spouse, how you lead your children. That's consecration. Is it different or is it just like everything else? And if we set up cameras in your home, which nowadays we could do and you'd never know it, which really creeps me out. I got a little wigged out a couple years ago. I started putting posting notes over my camera on my laptop. I was like, are they watching me? Is that paranoia? <laughs> I, think, I think I'm paranoid about being paranoid. If we put cameras in your home, would we see consecration or would we see commonality? All right. Let's go back to Gideon. We can learn a few things from this passage. Number one, God's plan for consecration began immediately. All an altar call is, is you saying, Lord, I agree to your plan of consecration. And you sign your name on the contract. That's all that is. You haven't become consecrated yet. But his plan for you begins every morning when you get up. Will you live consecrated today? Will you live what you know to live today? Or would you rather live like the world? It is easier to live like the world. You don't need God's help to live like the world. That's why the world lives like the world. They don't have God. But unfortunately, to live like the world, you have to shun God. Say, Lord, I don't want your help. Lord, don't help me. Lord, get your hand off me. Lord, I want to live like an idiot. I want to live like a jerk. I want to live like a barbarous husband. I want to live like a Jezebel woman. That's easy. That's common. But consecration doesn't just start at an altar call. It starts every morning when you get up. Every day, you have a new day to live consecrated. And even if you didn't wake up this morning living consecrated, you can begin right now in your heart to say, I'm going to start living consecrated. I'm going to start tightening this thing up a little bit every day. Don't, don't try to turn this thing around overnight because you can't. But every day you can take another degree and another degree. And every day you can tighten up a little bit, tighten up a little bit more and tighten up a little bit more. Your flesh can't handle being cut off overnight because it has reigned king supreme in your life thus far. It will fight you, but if you slowly trick it, and slowly wean it. And in a week or two, you can be pretty clean and holy if you want to be. God's plan for consecration began in Gideon's home. We all can act consecrated in the house of God. 
The sad thing is we have security in case you don't. <laughs> really, you think about it, we do have security. We have weapons in here right now in case somebody doesn't want to live consecrated. You know, we're not a cult. We're not, you know, some kind of, you know, North Korea state. But it's that day and age that we live in. And we did actually, uh, within the last few weeks, have somebody show up at the church stalking. And we had to get the police involved. And you never knew about it because we dealt with it. That's the day we live in. As I pointed out in one of our lessons, isn't it crazy that even a bar has a bouncer for those that act too sinful? Yeah. At a bar. You don't live consecrated enough at a bar, they bounce you. And usually you get bruised, but you don't feel it because you're drunk. Like the proverb says, doubtless I shall rise again. The thorn goes in his hand. He doesn't even feel it. How did I get bruised? Why is my arm broken? Until he sees himself on the newspaper the next day. It always begins in your home. It's not about church. Though this is where you learn how to live it. And if, see, some of you wives, I know you can contain the Jezebel because you do while you're here at church. Because you won't treat me like you treat your husband. So you have the ability and some of you guys, you wouldn't treat my wife the way you treat your wife. So you have the ability to refrain and restrain. Because you know if you treat my wife the way you treat your wife, I'll call security. Or I'll be security. I probably will be security. And yet, God still sees all of that. So really, consecration begins at home. That's where it did for Gideon. Consecration is going to begin with the friendships around you. Your private life. And you have to be willing to walk away from anybody and everybody you don't have a covenant with. And as I see it, there are really only two covenants I can see in the Bible. The second one, if you want to disagree with me, fine. I don't care. The first one, you can't. Well, three covenants. Jesus Christ, one. Your spouse, two. And perhaps whatever church or man of God you're called to is a third one. I'm thinking about me and Dr. Barclay. God called me to him. I have a covenant with him. If you want to disagree with that, I understand. But I couldn't just walk away from him. Even if Dr. Barclay got goofy, I can't just quit him. That's my pastor. I'm going to pray for him. But except for Jesus and your spouse, everybody else, you can jettison. Even if you're engaged, there's no covenant yet. Flush if you have to. You know, little children like to wave at it. Sometimes they grab for it. No covenant, flush it. If you have to, if you need to. God's plan for consecration may call for you to stand against your own family. We see that with Gideon. Mom, I love you, but you got to shut this up. Dad, I love you, but I'm going to serve God. And many Christians, even in America, have been disowned by family for serving Jesus. And Jesus Christ promised that he will divide families. That doesn't sound like the squishy hippie Jesus, but that's the Jesus of the Bible. He said, you thought I've come to bring peace? Yeah, you're the Prince of Peace. Nay. A sword. He was so liking, he so liked swords, he says, my mouth is a sword. He told Peter, go get some swords. He tells you, swing the sword. He said, husband will be divided against wife, father against mother, father against son, mother against daughter. Families will be divided. That's the Bible. He even said, of your own households shall your enemies arise. Of your households. So that shouldn't surprise us. But you keep walking with Jesus. 
God's plan for consecration attacked idolatry first and idolatry is of the heart. So consecration is going to deal with your heart first. Things that you worship in your heart, things that you cling to in your heart. Because even now as we talk, some of you may be saying, I could never do that. But you're saying that in your heart. I could never walk away. That's your heart. That's your heart. You got to be willing to walk away from stuff. You know, you can worship family members. Now, I'm not talking about looking up to a big brother. You know, I just I just worship the ground my daddy walks on. I'm not talking about that. That's just looking up to your daddy. But when you can't let go of them, when you can't let go of anybody you don't have a covenant with, that's idolatry. When you can't let go of a friend, that's idolatry. When you can't let go of even a mom or a dad, when you can't let go of them, that's idolatry. When it affects your Christian walk, that's idolatry. When it comes between you and Jesus Christ, that is idolatry. And so consecration always begins in the heart. In your heart, can you cut away anything and any, everybody? Years ago, when, when Will and I used to serve in Knoxville, I would go home. The Lord was really blessing me. I was a single man making good money, and I'd buy lots of nice stuff, and I'd sit in my apartment. And I, would, you know, I wasn't attached to anybody physically. I didn't really worship anybody. Didn't didn't have a girlfriend or a wife or anything. Just a single guy. So there's nobody in my life who I you know, need to cut out. But what things did have me were stuff. And I'd sit there on my couch and I'd look at, I'd survey my kitchen, dining area, living room and, and all this stuff. And I'd say, Lord, is there anything in here I can't give away? I give away that TV tomorrow. I'll give away that record player tomorrow. Oh Lord, I give that away. And, and, and inevitably anything I had just bought, I'd, I'd look at it and my, my heart would go, because I just bought it. So it was really new and really cool to me. And my heart kind of, you know, just bought it because I wanted it and just spent money on it. And I'd say, ah, I just bought that mini disc player, which I just threw out the other day, by the way, because <laughs> it doesn't work anymore. Spent 400 bucks on it 10 years ago and couldn't let go of it 10 years ago. I just pitched it yesterday for free. I'd look at it and I'd survey the idolatry in my heart. And I'd say, I'll get rid of that too, Lord. If you tell me to give it away, I will give it away. Because I didn't want any idols in my heart. Because honestly, I made good money. If I gave it away, I'd go buy another one. Because it wasn't, you know, it was just a couple hundred bucks and I had the money as a single guy. But you got to be able to survey people in your heart, friendships. Is there anybody you could just walk away from today and obey Jesus and they never pull you back? Or is there anybody that you would start to instantly argue with in your heart? I, I, I could never let go of them. I could, I could never walk away from them. That's an idol. Not that the Lord would ever ask you to, but you have to be able to. Right now, my wife and I still, we're even preparing our hearts that one day the Lord may call our daughter to be a missionary. We're preparing our hearts now because as much as we love her, we don't want to get to that place down the road where, no, I don't want to be like the parents I see sometimes. Oh, you can't go, little girl. You're my, you're daddy's little girl. We say, and actually it probably pulls more on my wife's heart, but she'll pray, Lord, this is your girl. You can send her any way you want to. She'll be best in your hands. We're trying to do that now before our daughter becomes an idol. Because ultimately she's not ours. She's on loan. We're just stewards called parents. And the Bible proves it because we have no covenant with her. I have no covenant with my daughter. She's just my daughter. No, not just, but just. So idolatry begins of the heart. So consecration has to begin there. And you start seeing, am I set apart in my heart? Are my motives set apart in my heart? Are my wants set apart? Can you let go of anybody? 
because God can help you. And nothing is worth hurting the call of God on your life. Nothing is worth hurting the will of God for your life. Nobody wants to be an idol worshiper. And idols just aren't totem poles or fat chubby Buddhas with gold earrings. Idols are anything that distracts you from God. And Ezekiel 14 says, Son of man, these men have erected their idols in their heart. You can't put a Buddha in your heart. You know, you, you can't put incense in your heart. But it is the worship, the longing, the emotional attachment, the affection, the meditation, the longing, the focusing of all your energy and, and oh, comfort. That makes it idolatry. And you got to be careful. Hobbies can be idols. Vehicles can be idols. Homes can be idols. Anything that keeps you from serving God because of blank, idol. So you got to be willing to walk away from anything and everything. Until you're married, you are free. Free from anybody and everybody. Once you get married, now you're married. And Paul said, you will have trouble in the flesh. Nevertheless, I suffer you. <laughs> yeah, we do suffer. Lord, have mercy. That's why the Bible says you have to obtain favor of the Lord when you find a spouse. He that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor. Lord, I'm going to need favor. Next part, consecration will replace carnal idolatry with the worship of the true and living God. If you think about worship, we're going to worship here in a, you know, an hour or so, maybe less than that. Worship is coming down and expressing emotion, expressing dedication, expressing attachment. It's expressing your heart. That's what worship is. And how many things in our life do we do that towards? And that may be the reason we have trouble worshiping the true and living God. It's going to be hard to cling to stuff when your hands are lifted to Jesus. When you truly enter into worship, the Lord can say, give away your house today. <laughs> Whatever you want, Lord, I just love you. Then you come out of worship. You know, what was I thinking? <laughs> you got to be willing to let go of anybody. Remember what Jesus said? Let the dead bury their dead. Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me bury my dad. And he looked at him because he didn't have problems burying people, but he knew there was something in this man. He only told one person to go sell everything because that was the idol in that person's heart, the rich young ruler. He said, sell everything, give to the poor. And that's like the slap in the face of the rich guy. He doesn't want to be poor. If he gives it all to the poor, he'll be what he doesn't want to be. That's why he spoke it to him, to tear out that idol. To the man that wanted to bury his dad, he gave him the only answer that he ever gave about that. Let the dead bury their dead. What a slap in the face of the man that just lost his dad. But that's the very thing he needed to hear. He doesn't have a problem with us burying people. That's not our doctrine. But we, you know, you don't drop dead and we just like go, you know, just let the trash guys get them. We're going to church. No, you know, we understand that we have proper burials, proper funerals. It's a, it's a biblical thing. But for that man who worshiped his daddy, who could not let his daddy go, he made an excuse why he couldn't serve Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, let the dead bury their dead. It's almost as if to say your dad's in hell. Dead, dead. You're claiming you want life. Dead, dead. But you want to follow the life. Dead, dead. He's always going to answer you according to your idol. And it'll be the thing that tears at you the most. I, I, I went through many seasons of being torn. And I still get torn from time to time. But thankfully, not as bad as I once was. It's miserable. You just might as well throw your hands up and just say, take it. I, it only tears because you resist. Right. 
It only tears because you're pulling against it. But if you would step into it, he could just pull it out. Consecration will replace carnal idolatry with the worship of the true and living God. To successfully consecrate yourself to Jesus Christ, you must replace your sin with his ways, uh, your sinful ways with his holiness. So let's look at this real quick. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 through 7, 1. Therefore, come out from among them. Uh Oh, so talking about leaving them people and be separate. That sounds like uncommon, unique, says the Lord and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you. Now, touching unclean things isn't always your hand. Sometimes you can touch things with your heart, with your meditations, with your thought life. You know, I think we've all used the expression, I'm just not even going to go there in my heart. I'm not even going to go there in my mind. That would be touching unclean things. And I will receive you. Anybody want to be rejected of God or received of God? Received, yeah. So there's a clue how to do it. And I will be a father unto you. You shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit. Now, the Greek word spirit, there's pneuma. It can also be translated mental disposition. You're born again in your spirit. So there's no filthiness in your born again spirit. But this word can be translated mental disposition or attitude. Uh, Numa has several translations, demon spirit, human spirit, Holy Spirit, breath, wind, or mental disposition. We would call that attitude. And we know we need to cleanse ourselves of attitude. Anybody here ever had a filthy attitude today? (laughs) Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So holiness is something we must perfect. Next verse, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification that is consecration, same word there, that you should abstain from fornication. So the will of God is our consecration, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. So when you are not consecrated, you are a dishonorable vessel. We see that in 1 Timothy, uh, separating yourselves from filthy, unholy, dishonorable vessels. And if you can be clean from dirty vessels, God can use you. You know, it's not going to be the sinner that necessarily perverts the Christian. It's going to be the backslidden Christian that perverts the Christian because the sinner doesn't know Christianese. The sinner is actually more open to the gospel than the backslidden Christian is. The sinner will actually respect you more than the backslidden Christian will. Amen. And so you have to be careful of the backslidden Christian. Just because they claim they go to church once a week doesn't mean anything. You know that. There will be the ones to undermine you. They are the ones that are on the fence. You know, Jesus said, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Backslidden Christians are lukewarm. The cold heathen, God's not going to puke them out. It's the lukewarm Christian that's the most dangerous that you need to be mindful of. Consecration is still expected of us today. That's why I went over those verses here. So let's look at Gideon's obedience. We have a few minutes left here and we'll see what we can learn. And then we'll, you know, hit pause till next week because we have four weeks to cover these last two lessons. Though Gideon wasted no time in, excuse me, though God wasted no time in testing him, Gideon likewise wasted no time in obeying God. Gideon wasted no time. Now, we're really good at postponing things, procrastinating. Lord, I'll repent later. Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll repent. I'll repent. Lord, I'll repent later. Lord, I'll, next time I see him. Somebody just came to us and repented. They said, Pastor, I couldn't wait to see you in person. I want to get this right. So they emailed us. Forgive me. They, they just didn't want to waste any time. And then as soon as they saw us, they repented in person. That's somebody who doesn't want to waste time. That's a good thing. We should also learn to be quick to obey, especially in the matters of consecration. Lord, 
I'll stop fornicating next week. Lord, I'll stop looking at porn next year. Lord, I'll stop dropping acid a year from now. You don't know. You, stop now. Stop. It's, you, just stop now. Lord, I'll stop drop, jumping off of cliffs at the bottom of this cliff. You're going to kill yourself. Judges 6, 27. Then Gideon took 10 men. And all these verses are in order, so we're not skipping anything through the book of Judges. Then Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And, it's, and so it was because he feared his father's household and the men of the city that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. I want you to see Gideon did it afraid. There was a famous little mini book written about 15 years ago called Do It Afraid. Hey, obey even if it's in fear because even obedience is faith. I'm scared. My boots are knocking. I'm terrified. You know, in, in your younger days, how many times you preach scared? Like every service. How many of you ever witnessed afraid? Every time you witness. <laughs> how many times you give a big offering afraid? Most of the times you have to give a big offering. That's called God stretching you. If you're waiting to be comfortable to obey, you'll never obey. If you're waiting to be comfortable in your obedience, you'll never grow. Because everything that takes growth is going to be a stretch. It's going to require to lift weights and get stronger. You have to hurt yourself to get faster. You have to almost puke every time you run. You know, everything you do that you get better at is going to involve a little bit of pain. They coined the cliche, no pain, no game. And everything God asks you to do that's going to promote you, there's going to be some fear involved because you've never done it before. And it's going to be a stretch. And you just get used to it. I, I think you could possibly get to a point where you're just so used to that kind of fear and that kind of intimidation is just part of it. And I think like with David, he said, I've killed lions, I've killed bears, I've killed giants. What's another army of 10,000? I haven't lost yet. Why would I start today? Maybe you get to a point when you've killed enough giants that you're not afraid much anymore. But you don't know. Most Christians will never live it because they always obey their fear. And look, he even took 10 guys to help him. So get some people to encourage you. Get some accountability around you. Say, hey, Brother Will, Pastor Brian, get around me. I need you to hold me accountable. The Lord has told me to do this. I know it's him, but I'm terrified. Can you go with me? And I'm sure you can get together two, three, five, maybe 10 friends in Christ that will help you go do what you're afraid to do. But you know you need to do it, though you're afraid to do it. And that's what we have to look at. Look at our points here. Don't wait to get sin out of your life and home. Do not wait. Don't hesitate. Act quickly as Gideon did. Gideon obeyed immediately. He didn't make excuses to disobey God's command. Many of us make excuses. Well, Lord, you don't understand. Well, Lord, it's too hard. Lord, we don't have the money. Lord, uh, maybe they're already born again. Lord, they look so mean. I can tell you in witnessing, some of the folks I was for sure were going to be mean to me were the most open to the gospel. And some of the folks I thought would be the safest to witness to were the meanest bunch of white women I've ever met. <laughs> Because my theory is middle-aged, middle-class white women in America are the meanest human beings on the planet. I've met Satanists more friendly than middle-class white women. At least they know where they stand and they're just happy to talk to you about Satan. The middle-class white woman won't talk to you about Jesus. I'd rather have a conversation about Satan with somebody that worships him than some trashy middle-aged white woman who's just mean as a snake. That's been my experience dozens of times. In fact, I said, Lord, I'm not even going to witness to those women. They don't want you anyway. That's why Jesus had to make an example with the woman at the well. <laughs> Obey God even if you're afraid. God will be with you. 
Obedience to the word of God is often very intimidating. However, disobedience is dreadful. Obedience can be intimidating, but disobedience is dreadful. I am miserable when I disobey God willfully. I'm wretched. I would rather go back, rewind the tape, and just be uncomfortable. Knowing, I've done it enough times, knowing it's going to work out okay. Most of the time, I just got to get over me. Me is the biggest problem in my way. And so I'm backing off to worship me rather than going forward to worship him. If you can just keep in mind disobedience is outright dreadful, sometimes the dread is enough to force you past the intimidation. Whatever you got to do to obey God. And then you realize, you know, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. But the next time it'll be just as much of a stretch. Before long, you just learn to deal with the pain or the fear, whatever it is, you know. Some folks, they're just used to the pain of whatever they do for a living. It's just part of it. You know, it's just uh, when we used to rock climb a lot, rock climbing shoes are the most uncomfortable, painful things on the planet. And you just got used to it. They're like little ballet slippers with rubber everywhere, you know, tight, suede and lace up. And it's like Cinderella, her ugly stepsisters putting her feet in the slipper. You know, that's what it's like. And it's painful. And you're like, are they supposed to be this painful? Yes. And you just deal with it. You can get used to it. When you obey God, sometimes it's going to be a little painful. But if it was easy, everybody would be serving God. Mm-hmm. Let's finish this section. Know, it, know that God will give you companions and helpers. Praise God. That's why we have a local church family. Gideon had help. From day one, he had help. From the moment he consecrated his life and dedicated his life, God gave him helpers. And from here, his helper number only increased. It went from 10 to like 100,000, and then it went down to 20,000, and then down to 300. And the Lord said, that's just right. And you might go from two to 100, down to 15, and then you have a close group of four or five that you just trust all of your life. God will give you help. If this mighty judge needed help, you're going to need help. Jesus was surrounded with 12. That's the Son of God. They helped him. Don't despise the day of small things. Zechariah 4.10, talking about Zerubbabel building the temple. Gideon's first task was a small one, and he was scared. He obeyed in the darkness and he only had 10 men to help him. God will prove you in the small things. You must believe in the increases of God. So until you can do the small thing in the nighttime with 10 friends, never even think about destroying cities with 300. You'll never get there. God's going to prove you in the little things and through consecration. And if you can't master consecration, don't worry about anything else. That will be the test you keep taking over and over and over again. That will be your Mount Horeb you circle the rest of your life. Anybody want to be the same place 20 years from now you are this morning? No, 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 no. So you pass the test and move on. Amen. Father, we thank you for these lessons. Bless us as we study consecration in the life of Gideon over the next three Sunday schools. Father, bless these men and women. Give them the grace, the strength and the friends and helpers they need to make consecrated decisions. We thank you, Lord, for Sunday school. In Jesus' name, amen.